Welcome to Cherry Becker's podcast. I'm Jamie Walker, a leader in the Cherry Becker's professional services practice. Joining me is Mary Marty Caramon, a principal in the firm's credits and accounting methods practice. Thanks for being here, Marty. Thank you, Jamie. Happy to be back. Our topic is the employee retention credit. If you are an employer whose operations either currently or previously were negatively impacted by COVID-19, now is the time to take advantage of this tax incentive. And Marty is going to tell you the, the why and the how. So let's get started, Marty, with an overall awareness of where we are with the ERC program at this point. Yeah, thanks again, Jamie. Yeah, it was a good time to have this discussion due to the fact that we've just gotten through quarter two of 2021 and a number of companies have made amended claims into 2020 and uh, also for the first two quarters of 2021 and are looking forward into the last two quarters uh, of the program. Just as a high level, the way the program works is it really is not a tax credit. It's really five tax credits. There's one credit that's claimed across uh, three quarters, uh, four quarters really of 2021, excuse me, of 2020. And uh, there are then four more credits, each claimed on a separately stated Form 941 in each quarter of 2021. The 2020 credit requires that a company either show a partial shutdown due to government orders um, or a decline in gross receipts of more than 50% in any calendar quarter of 2020 compared to that same quarter of 2019. In 2021, um, there is a separate, separately calculated credit in each quarter of 2021 available to companies, again, who are partially shut down due to government orders or who are showing a decline of only tw of only more than 20% compared to uh, that same calendar quarter in 2019. So the rules are much more liberal in 2021. The credit rate is actually 70 cents on the dollar, 70% of the first 10,000 paid to any employee, uh, as opposed to 50% in 2020. So you got a higher credit rate in 21. You've got... Um, essentially more credits in 2021 as well. So the maximum credit available to any uh, employer in 2021 is $28,000 per employee, whereas in 2020, it's only $5,000 per employee. Good. So can you give us some examples of partial shutdowns due to government orders? Absolutely. This is one of the biggest questions we get, and this requires a lot of fact-finding on our part as we talk to clients about what their narrative is and how they were affected by government orders. So the statute itself is looking to identify what it refers to as a partial shutdown due to government orders uh, issued by an appropriate governmental authority limiting either commerce, travel, or group meetings. So here's some examples that we've seen. Um, we think about something like work from home orders when work cannot be done from the company location. Um, so, for example, if I work in an office and back in 2020, I was required to work from home. If I could still do that work from home in the same way I could from the office, that's not a partial shutdown. But, for example, if I were a company that uh, was heavy into R&D and I had a test lab and that work had to be done from the test lab and I had to work from home, that would be an example of something that would most likely rise to the level of a partial shutdown. Um, other issues, and we think about this early on in COVID, if workers had to work from home, but they didn't have immediate access to laptops and the company had to buy laptops for them and that took some time, up until the company employees from home could comparably work in the same way that they could from the office, 
that would probably be something like a partial shutdown as well. I had another uh, interesting fact pattern with a company um, that needed access to a drug, but the government um, essentially diverted the utilization of that drug to vaccine research instead of to what that company did. That, uh, in my mind, rose to the level of a partial shutdown for what that company did um, due to the fact that they had no more access to their drug in their supply chain um, due to an order issued uh, by, by the government. Um, I've seen it where some essential businesses have supply chain disruptions due to the fact that um, they can't, uh, their suppliers essentially are subject to a government order, not even necessarily a U.S. government order, but potentially it's restrictions on the ability to have um, the supplies imported into the U.S. or exported from the country. Um, some companies rely heavily on things like trade shows for their sales people to attend in order to make a large amount of uh, sales that they have for the year. That attendance of trade shows, especially when they were early um, early booked or, or pre-planned to be in 2020 and they had to get canceled, that can rise to the level of a, of a government, of a partial shutdown as well. Um, some things that we've seen as well that are easy to get our head around would be restaurant restrictions, where uh, a restaurant uh, has capacity limitations or doesn't have in-room dining available. Law firms have had partial shutdowns due to the fact that the courts um, were closed for a period of time and there was a backlog with respect to litigation. Um, I've also seen it in the construction industry where the government slowed down permitting um, so that permits could no longer be issued uh, in order to enter onto certain premises or begin construction. So those are just some examples. It's very fact specific. With an overlay on top of that, we need to make sure that the government orders are having more than just a nominal um, effect on the on the business um, so that the order itself really does rise to the level of partial shutdown. Okay, so can you speak to uh, private equity firms and their ability or inability to claim the credit? Yeah, there's a misconception out there that all portfolio companies in the private equity context have to aggregate all their gross receipts and potentially all their employee counts together when they look at the ERC. I would say, generally speaking, uh, from experience, when you look both at the way that private equity uh, owns its portfolio companies with an overlay with the aggregation rules and the way they work for purposes of the ERC, is that that always requires a second look. Generally speaking, we've seen that portfolio companies, at least the brother-sister portfolio companies under a fund, can often still claim the employee retention credit um, and the gross receipts among the brother-sister companies owned by the fund and um, the employee counts may not have to be aggregated together. It requires a look, but don't count yourself out in the private equity context. It's something we can definitely take a look at. So let's turn to another topic. Uh, can you clear up some of the misconceptions around employee counts and gross receipts, both global uh, or U.S.? Yes, absolutely. So when we look to identify whether a company qualifies as an eligible employer. We want to understand how many full-time employees they had in 2019, and we want to understand what their gross receipts are in either 2020 or 2021 compared to 2019. Um, the test for gross receipts would be global gross receipts. So if we have a company that is either foreign-owned or has foreign subs, we want to eliminate all the intercompany payments uh, among the group members um, but also look at total global gross receipts as we make that comparison. 
From the employee account perspective, however, we would just be looking at the U.S. based employees and doing that determination of how many full-time employees they had in 2019. In the same way that we're only only going to include U.S. based employees in the calculation of the credit. Marty, I think there's some confusion out there as to the interplay between PPP loans and the ERC. Uh, can you speak to that for us? Ah, I definitely can. Um, there's And there is confusion due to the fact that originally when the employee retention credit came out as part of the CARES Act, um, if you took advantage of the PPP program, you were statutorily prohibited from taking the ERC. That was changed in late December 2020. So companies then had the opportunity to look back into 2020 and 2021 when they um, took the took the PPP uh, loans in, in both those years. And then they could think about whether they were an eligible employer as well. Uh, one of the misconceptions is that as soon, the moment you get PPP, you have to turn off the calculation of, of employee retention credit. That's definitely not true. When looking at PPP, oftentimes the covered period over which um, the funds are used is a 24-week period. If you look at the amount of wages spent or wages wage cost during that 24-week period, that's generally larger than the amount of PPP received by the company. So there's at least a layer there of wage spend that isn't covered by PPP. So you can look at the amount of wages incurred prior to PPP during the utilization of PPP and after as well, to the extent you have an eligible employer status during all that time. Additionally, um, for, for ERC purposes, you can work to document the fact that the amount of PPP funding is specifically not going into the calculation of wages uh, spent on employees um, who are getting an ERC. One example is the ERC is only available on the first 10,000 wages paid to any one employee. If an employee made more than that over the period of eligible employer status, um, for ERC purposes, you can document appropriately that the PPP funding is going to the wages that would never have gone into the ERC calculation anyway. There's also interplay with the shuttered venue grants, the restaurant revitalization fund. You're not prohibited from taking advantage of all these programs. You just have to make sure you're not double dipping on it. And that's one of the things that we've been doing and working with a lot of companies to make sure we document appropriately, because I think that's one of the areas where the IRS will look to see if there's abuse. But there's no reason that you shouldn't take advantage of all the programs to the extent you qualify. So, Marty, as a tax partner, I would appreciate it if you would speak to the income tax effect of the employee retention credit. Absolutely. And this was actually um, restated and I would say clarified in a notice that recently came out called Notice uh, 2021-49. To the extent you claim an employee retention credit uh, on your payroll tax returns, your Forms 941, uh, under the CARES Act, you are required to reduce your deductions for wages for income tax purposes by the amount of the credit. So there is an interplay. The gross credit is the amount of credit you would receive um, in as, as part of the ERC uh, on your payroll taxes. Um, and those credits, by the way, are generally larger than the amount of payroll tax liability for companies. So it's a refundable credit. It is a cash back. It is a check back to companies. Um, to the extent the amount of ERC is larger than tax liability. With that said, again, when you 
understand what that tax life, sorry, what that benefit is for ERC purposes, uh, the taxpayer for income tax purposes will be required to reduce uh, its deductions for wages by the amount of the ERC, which also can requ require an amended return for companies that are going back and looking at 2020 now and claiming an ERC, they would then have to most likely file an amended return for uh, 2020 for income tax purposes. Marty, we've seen uh, some frustration uh, on the part of some clients with, uh, I guess, around the anticipated timing of refunds coming from this ERC credit. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, I can definitely understand that frustration. Um, for example, if a company right now identifies the fact that it was an eligible employer in 2020 and for the first two quarters of 2021, and it uh, seeks to request a refund um, of the employee retention credit, those refunds on amended Forms 941 are taking anywhere from six to 10 months right now to, to be uh, to be issued to the taxpayers. One of the reasons we wanted to have this discussion today was to let our listeners here know that if you anticipate being a eligible employer in quarter three, um, to the extent you can get the amount calculated uh, close to the end of quarter three um, and get it on a more timely filed form 941, um, working with your payroll provider, those refunds on timely filed forms 941 um, are being issued in about two to three months. So that's much quicker than on the amended return. Finally, um, to the extent you identify yourself as an eligible employer, instead of requesting refund, you can um, work to turn off essentially and stop remitting payroll tax for the rest of the year potentially and monetize it that way and then get the amount of remaining credit at the end of the year. So you can monetize it by not paying payroll tax for the rest of the year as well. But yeah, uh, a lot of frustration with respect to the timing of the refunds right now. It is intended to help companies and with a six to 10 month refund period, it's certainly not living up to what its intent is. Okay, so we see a number of clients these days using professional employer organizations. The question is, can those companies use PEOs and claim the credit? Yeah, the short answer to that is yes, and the PEOs are getting more savvy at working with uh, their clients um, whose employees are, uh, are, are, are from the PEO or tracked by the PEO. So generally speaking, the answer is yes, um, and we're working with a number of PEOs to get them the amount of uh, employee retention credit per um, taxpayer that can claim. The employees are still the employees of the company that it has the eligible employer status, despite the fact that they're working with the PEO. So lastly, let's turn to a little bit different entity. Uh, the question is, can tax exempt entities claim the ERC? The short answer here is yes as well. Um, we look at, again, whether or not the tax exempt was subject to any government mandates that are causing a partial shutdown or whether or not um, its gross receipts are reduced by either 50% in 2020 or more than 20% in 2021. Um, again, don't count yourself out if you are a tax exempt entity. The employee retention credit is intended to incentivize employment and tax exempt entities still employ people in the US. Um, and so this credit is intended for them as well.
All right. Any final words of advice, General Counsel? <laughs> final word of advice, I would say, is um, take a second look at the employee retention credit. Don't count yourself out on that. Um, you have currently right now uh, quarters three and four to look at prospectively. You can look back at quarters one and two of 2021. You can look back at all of 2020. What I'm finding is that taxpayers have a very high uh, knowledge of the PPP program, and they still don't know as much about employee retention credit. And almost every client I talk to, um, there's generally some opportunity in one of the five credit generating periods, that being all of 2020 and each quarter of 2021, to potentially take a credit. So take a second look, take a third look, and keep looking, I guess would be my uh, my advice. Okay, well, thanks, Marty, for sharing this information today and for sharing your time. We greatly appreciate it. I need to make one more statement, a quick disclaimer that we are not providing tax advice on this podcast. We suggest that you please consult your tax advisor or Cherry Beckett for more guidance. If you want more information about the employer retention credit or you want to talk to Marty, visit our Cherry Beckett website at cbh.com. Thank you for joining us.